This is Music Farmer. I am Ben Grimm, and that really is my name. Good week. Good things on the horizon. And I have to mention my near-perfect record of guessing within $5 my total of groceries at HEB. I've become very good at this, and whether it's a small cart of groceries or a large one, I get within $5 every time. And I think that, and that's without, I don't add up things as I go through the store on a calculator or on my phone. And I get within five bucks every time. And I think that if you do that, they should, if you're able to do that, you should be able to get like 20% off on your groceries or just win them all for free. You're good at guessing totals, number totals, free food for everybody. Why not? But that's completely unrelated to what's on this episode Madison's on this show. Great interview with Nick and Dominic from Madison's and two songs from their band. So let's check that out. All right, Madison's in the garage. I have Nick Kakowski and Dominic Solis. Even though you guys get billed as the Madison's quite a bit, that happens. That, that happens. More often than not, um, but we're okay with it. We heard uh, a while back one of our former members said it happened to uh, Pixies all the time. They go, they always get called the Pixies, but it's actual. That does happen Pixies. a lot. But yeah, so we were like, oh, well, that's that happens to them. That's that's okay. Not too bad. Well, thanks for a lot for coming, guys. Thanks no for having us. Yeah. we listened to uh, um, a couple of the shows from before, and uh, I, I'm pretty pretty fond of the content. It's uh, pretty good stuff. Well, thank you. So, Dominic, you have a day job. We were just talking about that a little bit that still allows you to do some music. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a social worker, um, and I work from home, um, work for a, a local nonprofit. Um, but uh, I get a lot of freedom where I can set um, my own schedule. Um, kind, of a, kind of a blessing and a curse working from home, you know, because you, uh, you can kind of go about your day and do some p- stuff in your pajamas. Um, but at the same time, it's it's hard to turn it off. So um, what I really have is uh, two crazy full-time jobs. I say I, I probably work between 60, 70 hours a week at my at my day job and then turn around and, you know, if I'm not doing that um, or doing something with my family, we're uh, practicing or writing or booking shows or making flyers, everything that it takes to, you know, be a band or to get better at a band or just music in general. I haven't ve- I haven't met very many musicians that are also social workers that are in also in that line of work too. Yeah. I don't I haven't met a lot either now that, now that I think about it. I did though read that um John Darnielle from the Mountain Goats like recently, I guess that biography that he came out with that he started off as like doing some social work. Um, as a matter of fact, he wrote that that song um the best heavy metal death band in Denton, oh, okay. Texas. Uh, that he wrote that about two kids that he met while working in, a, gosh, I want to say um, a mental hospital or something like that. And he was, he, I think he was a nurse there, like working there. So. And they were from Denton, I guess. I don't, I don't know that they were from Denton. Maybe, but it was some type of small town or something like that. I can't remember mm-hmm. the full story, but uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Have you guys been in any other bands or? Or Nick, are you in another band yeah, too? Yeah, I'm in uh, another band called Rusty Razors. It's like a, a bluegrass, more traditional bluegrass uh, band. So, does that keep you just as busy as well, or do you guys kind of? 
it goes back and kind of here Sometimes here and there we get a little more ambitious and we'll play a bunch of shows usually around south by there's a lot of stuff going on for everybody right yeah and i was telling somebody the other day like i i, I found both bands on craigslist and then the very first two bands to craigslist ads that i responded to were the bands that i'm still in and then after that there was like 12 13 14 other responses that i had given and <laughs> never went anywhere like i would either show up and they'd be like eh no never mind yeah some yeah it's hard to tell if the craigslist thing's going to pan yeah, out yeah yeah we can uh, i like to tell the story that uh when nick first replied um uh he came to the audition for madisons and didn't get the job and then the person that um we hired uh moved not too long um after she came on and I went back and asked Nick to come back <laughs> and he told me no. I, <laughs> I had to go back and uh, several times. I sent him several emails, keep keeping asking him. I think they were like several weeks apart too. Yeah. And it took a while. But um yeah, he finally came back and we're I'm glad. It was another did. month. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Kept I was pestering him supposed to well I was in okay, at the time I was in Rusty Razors, this other band. I, I don't think I'm gonna say any names. But uh, two other bands. And I was like, these probably aren't going to go anywhere, but I think it's only fair to to not do a, a fifth band because there was another one I was possibly going to join. <laughs> yeah. A lot, then, lot of songs to learn. Yeah, yeah. 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 And that's, it's not that difficult, I guess. Yeah. I mean, nothing too jazzy, right? So it was all, <laughs> all simple, but that's... I'm, I'm glad I'm back in Madison's. <laughs> Were there other uh, versions of Madison's or like an, another... Uh, you know, a, a version of that band before it kind of came into what it is now? Yeah, yeah, there's been tons of it. I want to say, I was counted, last time I counted, I want to say there's been 18 different, like, musicians that have come through Madison's, and so I've only been in one other band besides Madison's, and that uh, is the first band that I started here in Austin. It's called Jubal's Lawyer, and it's really a combination of, uh, like, a few of my friends that later became Madison's and a band called the Shady Rest Band, who still plays in... They play a lot in uh, in San Marcos, um, but at the time, they were getting a lot they, like a full head of steam and couldn't devote any more time to to the project to Jubal's lawyer anymore. So we split. Um, still remained really really great friends. It wasn't bad or anything. And then uh, myself and the violin player started um, Madison's, and it was just a duo at the time. So we started off as just a, a duo. duo. Myself as a violin player, Rachel Madison Lane, which is where we got the name. Uh, we also wanted a name that kind of uh, that wasn't like too memorable, like you could forget it. Uh, but it was it was an okay name, and we were like, well, we're gonna people remember us. They're gonna remember us because the music. Gonna be so <laughs> <laughs> and so, they do. Yeah. No, it works they with do. the music really well. Yeah, yeah, I hope, yeah, yeah. So that we we looked at, but um, so it was just uh, me and Rachel, and then um, we made uh, we made a demo with a buddy of mine in. Uh, Las Cruces. His name's Josh. He's actually a NASA engineer, mm-hmm. um, but really, really good friend of mine. So we would send him recordings and you know just mess around. So we made this demo. They're like, well, let's try to get some other musicians. And uh, after that, we got a guy to come on and play bass. His name is Noel, um, local Austin guy. Um, another friend. Uh, his name is Andrew. He got him off of Craigslist too. Um, and we had a couple bass players come on. We had a guy that used to play Jimbe when we first started. We called him Jimbe Jake. I, <laughs> I really don't remember his last name, but we called him uh, Jimbe Jake all the time. Like, come on, Jake, it's time to upgrade to the kit <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. No, it, took, it took us a while. Oh, my gosh, such crazy stuff. We had um, uh, a buddy of mine named Chuck. 
he was the brother of one of the guys in Jubal's lawyer who moved down and lived with me for a little while. He was in Madison's. There's there's dispute. I I say Chuck was fired. He says he quit. It all happened on the same night. We can agree on that that happened. <laughs> um, but we're still really good friends, and he'll fill in with us on base uh, sometimes. Um, Rachel and Andrew eventually moved. Um, we hired another bass player, put in another Craigslist ad. I think we've gone through two violin players, a um, couple drummers. Um, but, yeah, everybody, I think, uh, like Nick was saying, one thing that helps us out that we go uh, on Craigslist um, is if we do, if we are dedicating this much time to a band, like outside of our families and outside of our regular jobs, we want to make sure that the people who show up want to do that too. It's a lot of fun to be in a band. Um, but if you, you can easily get lost in like just drinking and just kind of like half ass booking shows and stuff like that. And um, you forget that, I don't know, I want to make art. You know, I want to keep. Yeah. making it and make it better and get better not only performance wise but um you know make it mean something it, uh it doesn't really i don't know getting big uh or like getting more people to know you that's nice and getting more money that all those things are nice but i um that comes later with practicing and taking it seriously yeah, and just yeah. you got to make good art if you're not making good art if you're lying to yourself or i don't know it, i'm super happy with the fact that we know how to put effort into it and you can make something yeah. that you're proud of, even if it's just something you're going to give out to your friends and family. So I don't know a whole lot about banjos or banjo, you know, banjo players. Is there someone, is there someone you try to kind of model your playing after or? Uh, I mean, I have influences. Let's put it that way. I think everybody, depending on what side of the banjo you fall on, you're either going to be Mumford and Sons, or you're going to be Earl Scruggs, you know, like the typical bluegrass, like traditional style of three-finger picking playing, right? And then I guess there's another style, claw hammer. You ever heard of that? I have not. Okay, it's, it's, it's the original style of playing banjo. So the banjo is an African instrument, and they had the high drone string, the little short string, uh, and they would just pluck that with their thumb, and they would, uh, instead of up plucking with their fingertips so to speak like we do on a guitar like a classical guitar they're brushing down with their fingernails so they're kind of flicking it if that makes sense right okay so that's how traditionally it's played as a folk instrument uh, and that came over and that's kind of been the style for a long time i don't think a lot of people know that that it's an african instrument that's yeah it's, the it's, origin of it, i think i don't somebody was saying that it was invented here and we didn't get into an argument. I was just in like, the no, hills of West Virginia. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and that—that's—that's that's what their excuse was. Like, oh, it's an Appalachian instrument. No, yeah. not really. Like, it got popular there, and and obviously the claw hammer, the older style, was very prevalent. But then in like the '30s, people were doing like big band stuff, uh, or like jazz. I mean, uh, Dixieland music, right? Where they would use a a pick, a plectrum, right, and. Uh, Earl Scruggs, obviously in the 30s and 40s, but he wasn't really the first one. Like he's he's kind of credited as propelling the instrument in that fashion, but he really wasn't the first one. He's just kind of the guy that was there and got with Bill Monroe, who is the big time bluegrass guy, right? Okay. Um, but I I I definitely draw from Earl Scruggs. That's kind of what you learn. You learn that, or you go into the claw hammer um, world. And I kind of went into both and did okay at both. 
uh, and I have newer influences like Bela Fleck. That's that's a pretty big name. Mm-hmm. Um, and his his wife Abigail Washburn is a claw hammer player, so it's kind of like the best of both worlds in that family. <clears throat> is that a is that a brave undertaking? Because a lot of people kind of are dismissive of banjo players, or it just takes kind of a certain person to really like. I, I like I mean, banjos. I wanted to play sitar originally, right? Mm-hmm. So I've been playing guitar for like 13, 14 years, and I went through a midlife music crisis, I guess, like 28 years old. <laughs> what's, a, what's a good challenge? How can I climb Mount Everest, never climbing a mountain before? Oh, sitar. Okay, cool. And then I looked at sitars, and the cheapest one was a $1,500 that I could find. So it was like, okay, can't, can't do... Can't the, sell the my sitar. car. Yeah. <laughs> and I had, I mean, I'll admit, Mumford & Sons and the Avett Brothers is like the two... If you're if you're a, a real banjo player, as people like to say, you hate Mumford and Sons, you hate the Avery Brothers. Well, screw that. I like both of those. <laughs> um, they they did get me into banjo. That's, that was like why I picked up the banjo. Obviously, I've done a lot more than just emulating their styles with it, you know. But um, yeah, Earl Scruggs is who you we would go to, right? That's like the end all, be all answer to your question. <laughs> I like the the general feeling that the banjo got in that classic uh was it roll roll your stone or whatever that mumford and sons album is whichever one that they yeah won grammys for you know that one it, there's some really good banjo on that or it's like it's not really good banjo it's really not good banjo because it's the same exact roll the whole way through but i guess i guess it's tasteful right and it sounds it sounds good it really does sound good but coming from that and hearing all the other bluegrass banjo and all the newer styles of banjo, like Noam Pakelney and Punch Brothers, if you're familiar with them, uh, there's a lot cooler stuff than Mumford & Sons, so don't be fooled. So that Big Bend Pipeline petition event at Stagel, do you want to talk about that some? How, how'd that go? It went really well. It's a great cause. Um, so they're, um, they're building Trans-Pecos Pipeline, I believe, from Big Bend, Kind of all the, all the way out to the to the Gulf of Mexico, um, and it's natural gas, and the majority of that natural gas, if not all of the natural gas, is getting shipped offshore. So it's not even even kept locally. Obama had entered into a treaty, I believe, with Mexico to not allow pipelines or anything like that through that region of Texas, kind of that part of from West Texas below I-10 all the way all the way to the Gulf, um, kind of a desert, arid area. And uh, I grew up. In West Texas, a little bit north of Big Bend area, and then spent a lot of time in El Paso going back and forth. And so I'd followed the movement when they were talking about it. Had some acquaintances that were that knew about the pipeline and knew that it was coming and kind of were were fighting it and getting people to, you know, kind of get some momentum behind trying to stop it. Um, but then I guess here recently the pipes started showing up down there, so it's getting a little bit more real. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, they're looking to, to get 100,000 uh, signatures, uh, and that was going to be going right through the park, part of it. Yeah, yeah, it's going to start there in the park and then go through, like I said, all the way to the Gulf of Mexico, down kind of right around that border wow. area. Which is, and I've spent a lot of time out there, like like I said, Van Horn, El Paso. Um, I'm originally from Sweetwater, Texas, and spent time and like have family in Lubbock and all that good stuff. Um, but oddly enough, I'd never been to Big Ben. Um, been done a lot of traveling, but never had even been to the park. But like I said, I have tons of friends that are out there, and I've spent the majority of my life just north of um, all that region. So we were excited to be part of that. We we've never been a, a particularly political band, but it kind of 
some political stuff you, like is in our music. We just, you know, it's in the lyrics and stuff. And so it's, it was exciting to to be part of that. And, um, you know, we hope there's success in it. It would be nice mm-hmm. to, you know, keep some of that part of Texas, you know. Intact. Free. Yeah, yeah, free from, you know. I'm sure, like, I mean, I have a lot of friends that, you know, because we're from out there that, you know, worked in the oil fields their whole lives and still work in the oil fields and have worked in, you know, the the windmill, the wind farms out there have all gone up too and they've been able to have, you know, really good lives because of that. I don't know, but at the same time, geez, man, you know, you know, I guess for me personally, you don't have to have all of that stuff all the time, everywhere, you know. Yeah. It's, it's a, we were very excited to be part of that and uh, still are excited to, um, you know, to not necessarily be spokesmen, but every chance that we can get, we want to, you know, talk about stopping that out there. That's a good cause. Yeah. No, I'm sure. It's a beautiful country, man. Like, you can go out there and still be alone and, like, see this, you know, the star. Be off the grid. Man, off the grid is awesome. <laughs> well, I remember the first Don't time about two years ago when I went down there to Terlingua and uh, Sant, Santa Elena Canyon, mm-hmm. that part of the park. I haven't explored Big Bend too much, but those mountains and all that down there, I was blown away the first time I saw that and was like, this has been here the whole time? Why did it take so long for me to get out here? Yeah see i mean even during the day you can see forever um it's my favorite like part of the country in the fall like the desert in the fall is just so beautiful and i don't know franklin mountains where i spent a lot of time out there in west texas out in el paso um i'm maybe like you can in in my writing i'm not so fond of some of my experiences that i've had out there but the scenery is uh i enjoy it so three 10 track albums with the Madisons, Three in. Yeah. you guys are not short on fuel for the fire. Yeah, yeah, ten a piece. Um, I think ten is a good number for an album. Um, not uh, too long. Can, not too long. Not too short. I think Dolly Parton said something like that. <laughs> like ten, ten tracks is all you need, man. That's all. That's yeah. all you need. Forty minutes. But uh, now we're lucky. I a lot of the material was written uh, before we even made the first record, and so it would just be like you know let's pick the best ones that we have and see if they all fit together um and then while we were doing that it just we were luckily uh able to keep writing uh songs that were good uh or that we felt were good enough to put on an album and then uh had some really good buddies that were songwriters and so on this last record we put four of their songs on on there so ben good buddy ben blair he um he was actually in jubal's lawyer um was part of the shady rest band we took two of his songs and uh Chuck Short, who used to be in the band, I talked about a little bit earlier, used to be in Madison's. Uh, we got two of his songs, too. And that just came from, I mean, we would, even if we weren't playing um, in bands or playing with a band and out at the club or something, we were writing those songs for each other. And we still do. I mean, two or three emails a month we're sending back and forth with new songs that we've written and getting each other's ideas. Uh, ben lives in Oregon now, and Chuck lives here in, in Austin. But, um, yeah, we try to, I mean, we're still enjoying writing, and so we all... You know, we all pitch in and share each other's ideas. Nick's a really great songwriter, too. Just I'm working at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> working on it? Yeah, it's always a work in progress, right? It's not It's not for the for the faint of heart. No, no, for no. sure. So talking about some more about songwriting, is there a focus on themes of coming into adulthood and navigating that transition in life? Y- yes. Um, there's definitely definitely a focus on that. I don't know... With all the content and all the focus, I think it just, 
it wasn't like I set out to start to do that when I was when I was writing. That's not like I want to write about growing up, and that's what that's what's gonna happen. Just on your mind. Yeah, I was just like, I'm gonna write what's what's here. Like I want to write, you know, songs that are honest and you know about things that I like, and um, it just came out uh, that way. I thought the more specific, the more specific songs were that I listened to, the more I enjoyed them. I really like reading. I like you know being able to paint a. uh, a picture, a pretty specific picture, um, but also a very pretty one. And those were all the pictures and ideas that were in my head, like stuff that I was struggling, kind of becoming an adult and, and a parent myself and um, dealing with relationships, whether it was with uh, with family um, or with significant others. Um, I didn't grow up in the best uh, households. So a lot of stuff that I was learning, like about relationships and about being stable and um, about accepting yourself, uh, I didn't learn that until I was much older, you know. So maybe when I was in my early 30s, I was learning things about interacting with people that healthy people may have learned when they were in their 20s. And so that's what that's what just was coming out. Um, it was, I don't know, I guess it was like dealing a lot of like, like dealing with growing up. Um, but growing up with my specific background of living in West Texas and being raised around, you know, abuse and, uh, you know, alcohol abuse and, you know, physical abuse and seeing a lot of, uh, you know, friends and family going through a whole, a whole lot of really tough things, taking all that stuff, processing it, and then trying to become a normal human being, um, realizing like maybe like some of the, the reasons why actors say things or make certain decisions were influenced by, you know, the way I grew up, Um, but also trying to take responsibility for my new life and saying, like, well, I can't blame all this other stuff all the time. Like, now I'm an adult. I got to stop. Can we cuss on here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I got to stop fucking up. And what am I going to do to stop fucking up, man? (laughs) Yeah, and I think where where I really got lucky when I moved here to Austin is... um, I was writing those songs alone just for myself or just for my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, but sharing them at open mics. And uh, I was meeting people who would be interested in what I was writing were writing the same types of things and had the same types of questions. And so I think that's where, uh, again, me, Chuck, and Ben really, like, struck up a friendship. And then it turned from, like, meeting other songwriters uh, with kind of the same ideas to meeting other people who grew up the same way and those became like fans and friends and and we, we were almost like second generation Mexicans right so our families are or our parents are Spanish speakers but didn't necessarily teach us to speak Spanish but since we were all like Mexicans growing up in Texas you, you picked up some of it you pick up a little bit but you're going to be poor, man, unless like if you lived especially in country in the country in like West Texas or like some of my buddies that grew up in San Marcos, crazy poor. So you're crazy poor. You have Mexican parents and grandparents. So you have all these old traditions and you're kind of living in the middle of these two worlds where you don't fit in with necessarily somebody who has a traditional American background, but you also don't fit in with your family who's had like grew up speaking Spanish and doing all, you know, listening to Tejano music and, and all that good stuff. So we're like stuck in the middle and we kind of have our own like little tribe and our own like things that we can all identify with. And I guess I didn't realize until I started 
meeting other people who like knew what I was talking about in the songs like oh there is there is a ton of people out here that have grown up like this that like we're all you know in our late 20s and early 30s and we're just now figuring out like well, you don't have to be all crazy or like just because everybody abused alcohol when you're growing up. That is very interesting. Yeah, that whole thing about transitioning into adulthood, it's something you, you know, when you're 21, yeah, you, you kind of, you go nuts and you're like, you have all that freedom and you can get into a lot of trouble. But, you know, that thing where what happens where 10 years later you realize bars are a part of your daily routine. Yeah. And just that whole like this is a huge part of my life and that you know the song about uh, barstool mm-hmm. that that's really interesting to me and you know so some people just get really caught up in that and they never you know they never get out of it yeah i never i never question it yeah and I, I, I don't know it, it's kind of a universal thing though right everybody writes about growing up it's all that angst and all that so we're not we're not doing anything new i think like i said maybe the thing that, w- that is a little bit different is the um the group of people that I'm talking to because of the my background um, kind of know a little bit about that. Oh, so, but, I mean, all that being said, like, as sad as the songs can be and the content can be, um, it's also, like, a big celebration that you've made it this far. also think that some of that sadness and some of that fucked up shit is really beautiful to some extent. And so while the lyrics can be crazy sad, the music, I mean, the... It's like a lot of major keys. It's a lot of big, yeah. like, the shows are definitely like a celebration. Mm-hmm. Like, um, we really, really get into it. And so it's almost like, it's almost like a release or being like, well, we went through all that stuff, but we made it. Kind of, you know, we got <laughs> kind of made it. We got all this stuff going. We're here. We're, well, at least we realize what's going on and we're trying to be happy. You're trying to be a better person. Doesn't mean you always hit that mark. You just turn this thing to a big downer <laughs> well do you uh, do you struggle or do you have strong feelings about with the uh, with your parents or your older family members that don't you want to see them get out of those situations or move on from things or be a better person and you want to help them but they're just not having it or they just don't just yeah, can't do it yeah absolutely um you definitely struggle with that um but at the same time i have my own struggles and i have my own family um to work with too right and i have also been that person where i'm sure people um maybe even still look at me and be like well if he would just listen to me things would be you know a lot better but i'm gonna do uh what i'm gonna what i'm gonna do so yeah as much as you want to help sometimes trying to help puts you in a situation where you can't move forward um so i think uh, for myself, what I really try to do on a day-to-day basis is uh, just tell myself, like, well, what are my responsibilities with my immediate family? Um, how, you know, what example do I want to set for my son? Like, what kind of husband do I want to be, you know, to my wife? What kind of friend do I want to be um, with the people who, you know, I'm choosing to, to spend my, my life with? And I guess that's how, that's how I try to tell myself, well, I'm going to do better not by trying to fix somebody or really judge somebody, you know, cause they're, they've got their own life and they've got their own decisions and have gotten, you know, to the place that they are probably by seeing a whole lot of worse things than I've ever seen, you know? So it's definitely not my place to tell anybody they should be a certain way. But what I can do is, uh, you know, try to be better for myself and for the people that I'm, I'm responsible for and to. Yeah. All those adult questions that start rattling around in your head Dude, and you get... Man. I'm telling you. You got to grapple with all those things. Just write songs, I guess. That's how you get drunk and write songs. 
Well, tell me about your tribe, Nick. Uh, I'm a suburbanite. <laughs> really not a whole lot of interesting things. Uh, I'm a middle child. so uh, You're a middle child, okay. middle child of two sisters. I'm left-handed. That's the other thing that you got to know, right? <laughs> left-handed middle child, so I'm completely an oddball. I, <laughs> I was just trying to lighten the mood. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I can't help you there either. So what is A Long Slow Death in San Marcos, Texas about? So A Long Slow Death in San Marcos, Texas. I, a really good buddy of mine um, named Sal, um, one of those folks that I was talking about who uh, grew up in San Marcos. He's about my age. I didn't meet him until I moved here. Through, a, I met him through a friend, um, Oscar, who's my best friend growing up, um, and who lives here. And uh, Sal's mom had passed away. She'd been having um, a lot of health problems for years. She had had health problems related to diabetes and uh, other things. And uh, I didn't. I had to work and didn't get to go to the funeral, but did go down afterwards. They had kind of what they'll call a comida at the house, where they have everybody over and um, just cook a bunch of food and stuff. And uh, I had not seen, I mean, essentially it was the house where Sal grew up in, which was a trailer kind of in um, uh, like south, I guess southeast San Marcos, which is not like, you know, the trailer parks out there aren't like the rest of San Marcos that you would normally see. Mm -hmm. um, but they were, I mean, it was exactly like the house I grew up in, you know, like people with dogs tied in the yard and kind of a um, little bit of a rundown trailer, nice people all around. But yeah, I just... I. Right when I went there, I felt like I was back in Sweetwater again, and so I was just, you know, we we're out there and had some, had some beers and kind of talking, like telling me stories about how he grew up and talking about the neighbors and just different things. And so I took a lot of the writing uh, or a lot of that song, like I took from the conversation that we had had, just the whole experience from the afternoon and us and us talking there at his parents' house, um, but also kind of put it into some things that I, you know think about which is I don't know uh, like people have a lot of power over other people even if you're just a normal person right um, yeah you don't necessarily have to be president or you know the mayor of a city or like you know even like the owner of some big business or something like you you know you have a lot of responsibility to the people that you love and even one person like you, you make a decision and you have a child like that's going to be a those people are going to be affected by it. If you have a spouse, a significant other, you know, you are the person that is in their world, you know, kind of on that smaller level. So no, that's, I guess that's what I was trying to explore. But, and it wasn't necessarily a specific story about his family, but it was influenced a lot by those things. Um, and then I have other, you know, parts and pieces in my head that I kind of, like images that I put together that, uh, that I think all fit into a story that are interesting. I don't know. I think some of the some of the lines from that, like uh, like if you took them from separate situations, like one of the lines I think it starts off with is um, "Till I gave up my leg for six hundred dollars a month. Uh, no matter how much I give, you say it's not enough. Till I gave up my leg for six hundred dollars a month." And I got that, and I had had that line for a while. But what you see is a lot of people. If you get being a social worker. So if you have somebody that was diagnosed with diabetes a lot or if they're a veteran or something like that, um, they might have uh, had a, a limb amputated, um, usually like the leg or something, of course. And so when that happens, they'll get a disability check, and it's usually, you know, it's between six and $700 a month. Mm -hmm. And they'll have that, and they'll be 
you know, in that kind of community, the, the homeless community, and they'll get preyed upon a lot by like the heavier addicts or something like that. When you see somebody who's missing a limb, you know that people are going to be taking advantage of that person because more than likely they're getting a monthly check. And so, I don't know, to be that type of person that you know that you're around and people, the people that are in your life, there's a really good chance that they're only in your life because you're getting that check all the time and because you're missing that limb. And that's your only, that's probably your biggest connection to human contact all the time. Other good happy things <laughs> to think about. So it was, it's kind of like that was a separate thing, but still fit into that story um, where it's somebody who's struggling with that and going through this thing where they're trying to raise a family and maybe has a spouse that isn't so in love with them, but is there and is kind of going through these things. And then at the end of the song, she's telling her son, like, I went through all these things, but I still want you to know that like, I love you very much, and you should still be trying to look for ways to be happy in your life, which is how the song ends, is don't go be looking for a reason to be sad, because it's already looking for you. Yeah, I don't know, it's a, it's a, it's, that one's a tough one, that one's a tough one. I think the, the, uh, one of the things that I don't get to explain a lot, at the very beginning of that song, the line starts off with, uh, I'm not responsible for the way you feel, that's what... For the way you make me feel, that's what therapists teach assholes so they don't have to feel like assholes. And so I got that line. I had talked to a couple people and the conversation went kind of like, they were saying something really shitty. And I was like, you, like, calm down. You're being a total fucking asshole right now. You know, chill out. And the person was like, both people, like in separate instances, like, I'm not being an asshole right now. You're taking it like that. You're calling me one. I'm not <laughs> responsible that you can't handle it. They, like, just, they just have no other the perception truth. of themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, in my head, I was like, surely somebody has told this person, like, that, like, oh, don't worry. Like, maybe they, I, the way I pictured it is like, this person was in therapy and they were like, well, everybody's saying I'm an asshole. And the therapist was like, well, you can't necessarily. Be responsible for everybody's feelings, you know. You're just speaking your mind, and you know maybe you think of that, and you know, don't be afraid to speak your mind. And and this person took it out of context. And more th- and yeah, yeah, and more than one occasion, like I talked, and it didn't dawn on me till I heard the second person tell it to me. And almost the same thing verbatim. I wonder if there's like a book out there that therapists look could at be, and they're like, be. remember to tell, don't tell your clients <laughs> they're not responsible for everything everybody feels. So that's what. But I think that's what people can tell themselves if you're if you're being you don't I guess you don't get to decide if you're being shitty to someone or not, right? If another person says you're an asshole, I think there's a Louis C.K. bit about that yeah. too. Um, Sounds really familiar. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I wish that came to mind right now. I'm trying to remember what he says <laughs> yeah, says about that. It's something like that. Um, I I definitely heard that bit after I had written that line. I'd written those that line like quite a few years ago, but. Um, but I think there's a lot of truth to that. Like, you have to be, you know, think about how you treat other people and how you talk to people. Sometimes It'll come back around, man. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes people can be dicks. And sometimes I can be a dick, too, man. I got to get too preachy or some shit. <laughs> well, if they, you know, and people that walk around acting like that, it's like, how do they sleep at night? When you lay down and you have all that stuff that runs through your head, Yeah. you know, just like taking stock of the day. Yeah. yeah. Like, where's your conscience? Yeah. And I think, too, well, I, I guess I know, um, a lot of that stuff that, I, like, that bothers me about people acting like that, maybe not as considerate as they could be of other people's feelings, I was like that for a long time. I would, like, 
you're just so full of myself, like just as a, as a younger person, you know, just a younger person with low self-esteem, just trying to make it through and like figure out like what you're doing in life. Like you try to figure out some way to be better or make yourself feel better. And I think maybe sometimes that happens. Like you try to um, be overconfident or, you know, try to take charge in, in all situations. And then, yeah, as, as I got older, just went through a lot. I'm like, man, this is, what am I doing? Oh, my God. <laughs> I understand what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I like to, I like to, I like to write about that because as embarrassing as it can be and as unfortunate as those situations can be, I just think they're also really interesting that people live in those situations, have survived those situations, have thrived into those situations. And some, some people like, you know, the, like the mother in that song was going through a whole lot. Um, but still was like doing her best to like make sure her kids like no love after she is gone, you know.
is that what the is that what prompted the confetti gun for for your shows? Is that you're kind of singing a lot of sad songs and you need like a sort of, can I bring it back up? Confetti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all of the I mean, there isn't really the shows are fast. I mean, we're talking like this and it's we're all like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have you guys committing suicide or something after this thing. But um, <laughs> the shows are fast, man. The shows are like fast tempoed. Um, you can barely like hold on to the pick like through some of the songs. Mm-hmm. Everything moves so fast and it's, it's constantly uh, breaking streams. Constantly Over breaking streams. Screaming, losing your voice, everybody jumping around. Tons of dancing. There's always dancing. So as heavy as the material is for sure it's a i mean it's a celebration and so yeah i mean confetti cannons standing on top of the bar running around uh ninja turtle costume coming <laughs> out um yeah man, yeah you were just, there for that one right yeah. the white horse that white horse show yeah i think so yeah um, <laughs> i can't remember if we did that that night the ninja turtle or not but yeah balloons coming out confetti cannons but yeah we have a full body ninja turtle costume that every once in a while if we can get if the mood's just right we always got it backstage and somebody will put it on so it's not it's not just like the green man suit it's like actual real the real mccoy yeah one of our friends Kristen, she i guess her sister had gotten it for her um, to wear at like her nephew's uh, birthday party. She's like, I'm going to dress up as Raphael the Ninja Turtle. <laughs> and she got the sense of the house, and we were just like having some drinks on Sunday. She came and showed it to us and put on the costume. We're like, holy <laughs> shit, that is coming to every Madison show that we can take that thing out to. Um, so that's good. Confetti cannons. We have sparklers at the shows. Just like, um, Are there some clubs that you've, you guys have... There's some clubs, that there's some, some owners that have gotten real... Stubs indoors in... I think it was really. They did not like any of that. Well, the, we 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 set up the confetti can cannons at the stage, right? So it went all over the equipment, and it's all over the stage. <laughs> the guy just made a comment like, "Oh, I don't think the next band's gonna really like that, guys." Right? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, the band after us, like all the stage, was covered in confetti whenever they got up. Makes their show a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But the band was really nice. The sound guy though was cool. But sometimes we'll ask, and sometimes we won't, because um, some. I mean, for sure, like we don't want to leave them an extra mess, and we'll stay. Ninety percent of the time, we'll stay and clean up. One time, we did not stay and clean up. Only one time, we were too drunk, and we, <laughs> we went home. <laughs> um, and they, they did say they did they tell somebody they found somebody they found somebody and like hey the next time you guys do that you got to clean it all up yeah. one time we stayed and they have us like like they had a wood floor and we like had our fingernails and we were like mm. scratching the wet confetti like out of the things a lot of times yeah, though people be will be like the shows will be really great the majority of times they'll be like man don't worry about it we're gonna have a cleaning crew or we'll clean that up like that was awesome thank you guys so much yeah <laughs> okay bye great show they're like yeah we're out of here um <laughs> We did have one time, I think it was at that stub show, actually, we were cleaning up at the end, and somebody came up to us and was like, oh, no, that makes me so sad. Like, what? <laughs> because it was like, to her, it was like, man, these guys put on this, you Great know, this show. awesome rock show, and then, like, there they are with, like, a broom and, like, a dustpan, like, cleaning up the trash <laughs> after the venue. Like, stop cleaning up. We're like, no, we're going to get in trouble. It's like being a prop comedian, and you have, like, you have to pick up all your stuff off the stage after your after yeah, your set yeah. <laughs> uh thomas damron uh, damron did i said that correctly right yeah. your bass player yeah. is he the brother of travis damron from 11 finger charlie no i don't think so no no i think he only has one sister i feel like he would have mentioned that to us too yeah i don't think yeah, that's yeah. probably he does know. have a sister. Well, you remember who i'm talking about right nick 
I remember Eleven Eleven Fingered Charlie, but okay. I don't really remember Travis. Um, I guess he was the lead guy for that band, okay. but I just assumed they were related. Mystery. <laughs> no, no. Now we're gonna have to go. I'm and pretty ask positive him. now. He's from Houston originally. Electric Mayhem. Miss those days. Well, just Lucy's in general, but yeah. Electric Mayhem. Dominic, did you ever? Lucy's you, even exist anymore? What's that? Is Lucy's even exist anymore? Like, well, it's uh, something else. Barfish or something is downstairs. Or used to be downstairs. That's still there, but yeah, the Lucy's is something else now. Okay. Uh, yeah, or at, no, you know what it is now? It's actually Sam Marcus's first gay bar now. Oh yeah. That's okay. what it is. That's where they do the the uh, Bobcat Ball, I guess, right? I think so. Actually, I think they've always done it there, but okay, mm-hmm. didn't know that. Little Big Town, uh, San Marcos is catching a little bit what Austin has yeah. L- yeah. right now. Yeah, San Marcos is a good place, man. I love it. I, like it. Yeah. I yeah. miss it. I miss it a lot. Please. We both got caught up there for a long time, yeah, didn't yeah. we? <laughs> 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 have a residency at Hard Luck Lounge. Yeah, it's yeah. coming up, yeah. yeah. Um, awesome place. I'd like to talk a little bit about, so, I mean, we're an eight-piece band, right? So, a ton of people in the band. Where I'm, I've always been like just the songwriter, but for like where I have to re- like rely and I'm lucky to have like all these other guys that, that play in the band, like Nick is the musical knowledge. So I don't know like what key I am playing in. I don't know how to like fix harmonies, um, writing parts. Like I don't know like how to tell somebody like play this note or play in this key or anything like that. I usually just, if I have a melody, like I'll use my mouth and like try to do it and then mm-hmm. everybody else is coming up with different ideas on how to how to fix all of that and so and I sure as hell don't know how to do anything in banjo but I know like I <laughs> wanted a banjo <laughs> um, but you, you know enough to say no that's crap I don't want that I mean not that he's ever said that to me but he we are always like Dom has the skeleton he's got the basic chords and structure and of the song and the melodies and the lyrics right and then everybody comes together to figure out rhythm certain rhythms and then the other stuff that comes with it part writing yeah having eight people has got to help to to put that many to put songs together faster and more better yeah everybody this group of madisons is pretty uh i mean the music iq is through the roof um and everybody gets along well and i think that's another thing uh like a strength of the band is again the content is pretty sad um but we have a great time. Like we enjoy each other's company. All of our families know each other. We all spend a lot of time with each other. Like even if we're not in the band, like we're having happy hour yep. or we're over cooking dinner at each other's houses or watching we're, The Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or we're going, you know, we're doing all, family stuff. Yeah, all all the time. And like like I said, as heavy as this stuff can be, and as sad as we <laughs> as I made this interview earlier, um, it's a good time, man. Even, like, Nick picked me up to come over here, and it was like we hadn't you know, had a chance to, like, sit down and talk one-on-one in maybe, like, a week, and I was still excited. I was like, oh, what are we going to talk about? And, and really, that <laughs> amounts to us shit-talking other people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk, shit-talking about music is what we, what we do yeah, a lot. Yeah. But, um, I don't know, it's a big unit, like, from the... From the um, from the band to the to the fans, like like people we work with, like everybody like feels really together, like yeah. all the time. It's so and there's always new people that I've never seen before. It will come to the shows and they know more lyrics than I do. So yeah, yeah. Wow. People connect. You know, yeah. Even though you say it's sad. Yeah. yeah. Got some real connections going yeah. on there. Yeah, yeah. It's so so much fun, like crazy fun. So don't be don't be afraid to come to the show. <laughs> <laughs> don't be too sad. 
The songs are fast. They're fast enough so you don't feel sad. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're not really that sad. It's, yeah. it's more like just a release, you know? It's just heavy, yeah. heavy material, heavy yeah. material yeah. in the songs. Also, you might cry. There have been plenty <laughs> yeah. of people cry at our shows. How far, how far have you guys been able to get out on the road? Um, we've gone as far as Los Angeles mm-hmm. um, and then come back around. So we've done... We've done West Coast twice. One year we went up and played in Toronto um, oh, yeah, for right. North by Northeast. That was fun. This year we're going to do Midwest, so we're going up to Chicago in June. I think we're doing something like 11 shows in 13 days or something like that. That one's going to be our biggest tour in terms of uh, like how many shows we're playing while we're out and uh, like the venues that we're going to hit. We're going to hit a lot better venues. We've got we've signed on with a booker, which is mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah, cool stuff. For us, for us it's really cool. All right, Nick and Dominic, thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Okay, kids, that's the show. Good times with the Madisons. That previous song played in the middle of the interview is called A Long Slow Death in San Marcos, Texas. And if you want to get your hands on that again, you can take your sorry ass back to West Texas. No, that's actually the name of the album that song is on. So, there you go. With that, I'm going to outro and feature another song of theirs from their recent album, No One's Ever Gonna Know Your Name. This is So Long, West Texas.
some living after all. Some living after all. 